Okay, just about a week. <laughs> well, it's a real privilege to be stood here and excited about what God's going to do amongst us this morning. Uh, we're in a series called Moving Forwards. don't know if you know that. We've been off it for a few weeks because we did the week of prayer and we looked at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. But we're back on it now. And this morning's um, title... See if this works. Oh, it's always a joy when it does. <laughs> Is learning from old mistakes. And we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 1, um, 19 to 46. When we follow Jesus, you may or may not know this, but um, often it's described as a journey. That kind of motif is seen in the New Testament. Um, and often if you're going on some kind of spiritual retreat, they'll be talking about, well, you're journeying today, you know. But putting that kind of, sort of putting that there, in First Peter, we are described as pilgrims. We are aliens in the land. This is, this is not our home. We are going somewhere. We are not yet finished. We are yet to be perfected. And this image of journeying comes primarily from the Old Testament. And it comes from a picture of the people of Israel journeying with God. Remember, they came out of Egypt and they traveled through the desert for, for well, 40 years before they entered into the promised land. So that journey, that's where that picture comes from. And through this series, we are journeying with Israel. We're joining with them. And as we look at what they did and what God did and how he changed them, we're hoping to learn from them. So we're going to start by reading. There's always a Bible. Always. No, a Bible. <laughs> we're going to start by reading from, oh, thank you, Paul. That would be helpful. From Deuteronomy. Could someone, chapter one, could someone just shout the page reference out? 178 is the same as this one, that's good. So 178, and um, we are going to read from verse 19 to 46. That's quite a long one, I was going to get someone else to read it, I do apologise. But I'll read it anyway. Sorry, I have to listen to my voice longer. Okay, then... As the Lord our God commanded us, that's the Israelites, we set out from Horeb and went towards the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, and so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up to the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. 
taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart, they said. The people are stronger and taller than we are, and the cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. That's giants. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard that you said what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who will see it. And I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter the land either. But your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would not would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know right, good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out towards the desert along the route of the Red Sea. Then you replied, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it was easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up to the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed at Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Let's pray. Father, you've given us your words. We pray that you'd make it alive and active in us today. Teach us about you, teach us about ourselves, and give us the gift of faith to believe. Amen. So, we're here again. A few weeks ago, if you were here, we studied Numbers 13. 
Um, and it was the original, it was kind of the account of what happens. Now this is, this is here in Deuteronomy. Now Deuteronomy, if you don't know, is the fifth book of the Bible. And we're standing with the people of God on the edge of the promised land. So imagine this. Um, in verse 3, we are told that this is the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year after leaving Egypt. Today is the day, now is the time, the waiting has ended and this is their second chance. Remember the people before, this is the account we've just read, they came to the edge of the promised land but they refused to go in. So God swore for 40 years you will not enter that land. One year for every day you were in the land exploring, you will not go in. So this is what we might say D-Day. This is the time. And the question asked is this time, will you choose to believe God? And Moses is recounting what happens. This is how we got to this place. This is what we did. This is why we've waited 40 years And he wants them to remember. And the point I want you to take with you today, see, look, it stopped already. It's just like some kind of jinx. Maybe I pressed the wrong thing. Ah, there we go. Remit, is that you, Howard? It was, wasn't it? Mm. Every time I go like this, you're going to have to keep him awake. (laughs) Remembering is important. Remembering is important. I want you to remember that, okay? Um, when I was writing this on Thursday, I texted Rob. I said, you know, he's in an office. I said, oh, have you got any good jokes about remembering? You know, maybe you could ask your work colleagues. And he texted back, I might forget. <laughs> and then he came up with this. I woke up today with a bad back. I think my memory foam mattress has a short-term memory loss. <laughs> yeah. And then my mother-in-law, I sent her this... Um, this link on Facebook about looking after your grandkids prevents you getting Alzheimer's. And she wrote back, I think I knew that. I must have forgotten. (laughs) All right, we'll leave that. (laughs) But our brains have an amazing ability to remember. It's really well explored. Um, God created our brains really complex, and that means that even professionals now are still baffled by the intricacies of that. And that is... That's a good. But we know that memory is a vital part of learning. Without um, memory, we wouldn't be able to learn stuff. Um, Every new experience would be completely lost, and each situation we came to would be completely unfamiliar to us. We would be repeating things for the first time ever. So if you've watched um, 50 First Dates, this is for the girls, or for the boys if you've watched Memento, or if not to be sexist, if you've watched any of those or been forced to watch any of those, they're all about people who can't remember. They're experiencing for the first time and they're desperately trying to work out ways to remember when their brain doesn't work properly. Memory gives us richness. It uh, gives us a reason for being. It tells us why we're there. The happy moments and the sad moments add to what it is to be human. And when we remember something, we act according to that memory. For example, if we remember that fire is hot, we don't want to touch it, do we? Okay, we need to remember that. If we meet someone and they're very kind to us and we remember that, 
We've got no reason to doubt that they wouldn't be a second time, have we? Our memory changes the way that we act. And as followers of Jesus, it's vital that we remember, we look back. We need to maybe write it down. What has God done? How has he acted? Uh, In the Old Testament, they're continually told to retell the stories as if they are in it, to tell their children, to write what God has done down, um, even to strap it to them because God wants them to remember. In uh, Romans chapter 15... We find it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And in John 14, we're also told, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. It's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us. Remembering is important. In the same way, when God remembers, he acts, changes the way he acts. And when we read about Noah, it says God remembered Noah and he acted. We read God remembered Rachel and he acted. There's something about remembering that changes the way we act. Now that's not that God forgets, okay? He he cannot, you know, he He's not like, oh, I forgot all about you that day. Because in Isaiah, remember, it says very clearly, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Your walls are ever before you. So he will not forget. But there's something in that remembering that God wants to teach us. When we remember, we act. Memory enables us to act differently. So here we are on the edge as it were, let's use the illustration of the promised land. Will they remember what happened and act differently? Will they remember what happened and act differently? So the first point, if you're writing points down, you can write this one down. You have a promised land. You have a promised land. I wonder what you think is our equivalent to the promised land. Obviously, the Israelites, they were going to uh, um, retail, highly sought after retail land. It was going to be full of milk and honey. It was going to be a place of peace and prosperity. What is our promised land? Where are we going? Because if we don't know where we're going, how will we get there? The book of Hebrew insists that we take the concept of the promised land and treat it as a place of true rest and peace found only in Jesus. The original promise that was made for Abraham, even he did not just see it as a physical place. Next slide. It says this. This is of Abraham. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, in your mind, you might have said, well, where's our promised land? And you've said heaven. And yes, ultimately, heaven is our promised land. 
It's open to us through Jesus because of his death and his resurrection where all barriers are removed, a place of peace, perfect peace between us and God. However, we do have a promised land here just as the Israelites did. Have you grasped that? Have you grasped that? This is not just my life is rubbish, but if I can just hold on when I die, it'll be all right. If that's all we're offering, is that all we're offering? Is that all Jesus is offering us? No. Just as for Abraham, the Israelites, we have, as followers of Jesus, a promised land that starts from the minute we say yes. And we can define it, just briefly, I'm sure there's lots of definitions, but this is one I found. If you could bring it up, Howard. The promised land is a place where my theology, my understanding of who God is, merges with my reality here and now. Okay, that's just an example. There, there are lots I could have put up. But that's a good way for us to start, I think. Our theology, how we understand God, merges with where we are right now, the reality. What we believe about God begins to be seen in our lives and our family and the wider community. In essence, it's God's will being done in our lives and the wider community. We're praying about it the whole week of prayer. Our promised lands are places of God's unapologetic blessing to the obedient. In reality, peace, joy, contentment, security, freedom, purpose. True blessings that, yes, will find their perfection in eternity, but start now. But start now. Our promised lands are places where we abide, it says, in the love of God, in his goodness. Where we see great spiritual harvests, great conquests in victory over our enemy. And it's a place where we see amazing miracles. God's word is, being, is found to be true, reliable, wondrous. And it's beyond human power or expectation. I'll give you some examples. So a person who's struggling with feelings of being unloved can find a new sense of being loved and security when they start to believe what God says. When the reality of their understanding of God is shown in here and now. They go forward into their promised land. So if we look at Romans 8, it said, nothing will separate us from the love of God. If we look at Galatians 2, who loved me and gave himself for me? Two passages about love. I could have chosen any. Imagine this person starts to say, today I am going to believe that. I am going to truly believe that God loves me. It will change the way they act. If they're rejected by someone, they're not going to run to that person to beg for reassurance. They're not going to run to others to say, pick me up, boost me up. They're not going to go to comforts that in the past have helped them, food, television, alcohol. They stand because they are loved by God. They run to God who says, I love you. I love you. 
They actually believe it. And that is someone coming into their promised land here and now. And he invites anyone to come into that relationship with him. Our promised lands are entered through Jesus, through belief, believing God, and the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, what stops you entering your promised land? What stops you entering? Well, let's look at the people who were stopped the first time, because that's always a good place to start. Go to the word of God. In verses 26 to 32, we see they did not believe that God could do what he said he could do. They did not believe God could do what he said he could do. That's key, isn't it? They don't believe. They are unwilling to go up. They rebelled. They quarreled with God. They said, oh, I don't think you can do that, actually. They were unwilling And they rebelled against the command of the Lord. In verse 32, it says, In spite of this, you did not trust. You did not believe in the Lord your God. You didn't believe what he said he could do. Despite of him guiding them day and night, despite of the miraculous wonders in Egypt, despite of the provision of um, quail even, and manna, despite of the water, despite of his covenant, despite of the testimony of God's presence, despite of the deliverance of them previously from the Amalekites, they refused to go and take what God had given to them. They allowed the difficulties ahead of them to become so large that they became God's in themselves. And so they became more fearful of their opposition than God. Verse 28 The people were stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw Anakites there. We saw giants. How often do we face a situation where we could choose to believe God? But the thing we're facing seems utterly impossible. It's like a giant looming over us. We fixate on it. It gains greater power. It becomes bigger and bigger. And it gains more honor in our life because we're thinking about it. We're bowing down to it. And God becomes smaller and smaller. Can he be trusted? Is he weak? Is he good? Is God good? Fundamental, isn't it? Genesis. Is God good? And what do they say? Look at verse 27. The Lord hates us. The Lord hates us. He wants bad things for us. He wants to destroy us. He can't be trusted with our future. He can't be trusted with our children. He can't be trusted with our loved ones. And when we fail to believe what he says, fear absolutely has a field day on us. It consumes us. I know because I've been there. Our actions like the Israelites show very clearly what we're believing. 
I'm going to give you an example. We could have someone who says they followed Jesus the whole life. I trust him. But never once have they told a particular family member either that they're a Christian or what the gospel is. And why? Fear is consuming them. That person has become bigger. It, it might be a fear of what they might say or they might ridicule you. Or dare I say it, they might have a slightly lower opinion of your intellect. Um, here's another one. Whole life following Jesus. But when anyone suggests that God might speak to you, you are filled with terror. What might he ask me to do? Because it could be awful. He doesn't like me. He wants bad things for me. I can't possibly go where he wants me to go. Another one, you're living your life saying you follow Jesus. Charity approaches you. The offering bag comes round. Which, which is the God here? You have a wife or husband. You're told you should love them as Christ loves the church. You should, um, you should put each other first. You should consider them better than yourself. And yet they're struggling on and you just sit and watch telly. Who is the God here? And I'm not doing this to make us be racked with guilt. Please, please don't think that for a minute. But unbelief gives way to fear. It's the reason that we don't enter the land. The consequence of unbelief. Well, let's look at it. The Israelites could have repented. They could have asked Moses to pray for them. They were filled with grief at what they'd lost, but were they filled with grief that they'd lost God? They didn't repent. John 10 tells us that um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Might have life and have it to the full. All God had promised the Israelites was there. It was just over the hill. And all God promises us is just over the hill. And yet we constantly choose not to go. We, the bottom line is we don't. I'd say this for myself. I'm not, this is not to make anyone feel guilty. We choose not to believe. And when they did decide to go, they wanted that thing because they felt grief at having lost it. They went in their own strength, in their own terms, in their own time. Own strength, own terms, own time. God has amazing blessings for us as a people. He says he has lavished. That is an amazing word. He has lavished his love upon us. But we are often too scared of an unknown future, of his timings, of his choices for us. We panic. We want the blessing. We want them with no pain, no struggle, nothing. We don't want to put on a sword. We don't want to put on our armor. We just want him to give us the land. Thank you very much. Just remove those people. Or... We're fed up of waiting, so we say, I will get that the way I want to get it. God is not good. He can't be trusted. I'm going to take control of the situation, and I'm going to do it 
my way. And when we choose to do life like that, without listening to him, without obedience, we choose a half life, a half life. And the Israelites suffered immense loss. They probably lost brothers that day, fathers, uncles, sons. Imagine the grief that filled that community. It's a terrifying reminder of not believing what God says he can do. But, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. God is a God of second chances. Amen? (laughs) Was that it? Someone in my house group said, were they written off? Will God write me off? If God can write them off, surely he can write me off, can't he? What if I get it wrong? But what did God do? He demonstrated his mercy to them. He let them live. He blessed their children. He didn't remove the promise. It still stood. The people entered eventually. But those guys did not see it personally in their lifetime. As the people before them were waiting for it and did not see it in their lifetime. Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to turn to this with me. Let's go to the back of the book. These are small letters. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then we've got Acts. Then we've got Romans. Then we've got Corinthians. Then we've got these little, let- little letters. I want you to find Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Because this, I think, is key. Okay. I think I'm reading it in a slightly different version, but you'll get the gist. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now that believed, I want you to look at that believed, when you believed, is the faith action past tense that led to your salvation, that stands under nothing will separate us from the love of God. We are his. Okay? They are his people. Chosen generation. Covenant people. But look at verse 17 to 19. A little bit lower down. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as a mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That believe is not past tense. That is present. That's like, see Lou Jog on the stage. Okay? I'm doing it right now. Lou jogged. I believed. You believed. Past tense. But no. I believe. I'm believing right now. I'm carrying on breathing. I'm going to carry on believing. And what do we get? The power. The power that raised Jesus from the death. Can you think of a situation, any situation that would require more power than what raised Jesus from the dead? 
marriages, life, freedom from addictions, purpose to those that have given up, purifying the vilest of offense against God. We are his church and we must believe. We must believe. We must. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, I think it is up there, says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Encourage one another to keep on. Be believing. Continuous tense. And right now, I am painfully aware, as I came to prepare this, that there are people who are facing the massivest giants you have ever seen in our congregation. And some of those people I know are here, and some cannot even bring themselves to be here. Let's be in prayer for our brothers and sisters as we encourage them to be believing, be believing. We know that when we face those giants, fear jumps in, anxiety, I can't sleep, I feel guilt, I'm consumed with depression, I'm angry, I doubt God's goodness. What are you doing with my life? You have promised me life and life to the full. And this is it. And we may not see it in our lifetime. That's important, isn't it? But we shouldn't give up asking for it. God keeps his promises. I was thinking a while ago we had a sermon about, um, in a, it, it had this phrase, in a little while, John, John preached, in a little while, and it was about the coming of Jesus. In a little while, I'm going to do this for you. Do you know what struck me that day? It was 400 years later. It was a little while. They didn't see it. But God did do it. He will do it. And we may not see it, but he will do it. And he asked us to keep asking for it. Um, I was thinking... Um, about a good example of someone not giving up. And um, it's a good friend of mine, a friend of mine, but an even better friend of another friend of mine, if that makes sense. And in her marriage, um, it, it went well. You know, they were Christians. They got married. They had a child. And then he, uh, he just decided, oh, I'm not sure about this God thing anymore. And I, I'm not sure about you. In fact, I'm not sure I even love you. And this is on for years and years and years. And, you know, everyone watching is like, why is she still with him? He treats her so awful. What on earth? And she just stands there going, I made a commitment before God and I'm believing God for him. And it even got to the point that he moved out. And, you know, I've got to be honest. I'm standing there with the people going, oh, thank goodness for that. Do you know what? I heard just a couple of months ago he's moved back in. He's repented. He's treating her as he should treat his wife. Pretty amazing. I want us to stand together. Okay, let's do that now.
Because we all know that in our lives there are things that we don't believe God and we question his goodness. And we know that we've got friends that are struggling with giants. Can you see that? I'm just going to, I want us to look at it first. I'm just going to read it and then maybe we'll read it together. Jesus, I have chosen to do things my way without listening to you. I have shut you out of my life. Please forgive me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me because even though I shut you out, you still loved me and freely offer me forgiveness. Right now, here in this place, I choose to follow you, God, all the days of my life. I chose to listen to you and obey. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me be believing. Thank you that you have lavished your love on me and that nothing can separate me now from you. And thank you that you have good things for me in my future. If you want to pray this with me now, you can. If you want to pray your own thing, that's fine. Whatever God's saying to you today. But it's something. Let's pray. Jesus, I have chosen to do things my way. Without listening to you, I have shut you out of my life. Please forgive me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. Because even though I shut you out, you still loved me and freely offer me forgiveness. Right now, here in this place, I choose to follow you, God, all the days of my life. I choose to listen to you and obey. Please send me your Holy Spirit to help me be believing. Thank you that you have lavished your love on me and that nothing can separate me now from you. Thank you that you have good things for me in my future. Amen. It might be that you've prayed that prayer for the first time, that sort of thing. I'm trusting you, God. I don't want to go my way. Please come and see me afterwards if that's you, if you, if you prayed that for the first time. And if there are giants in your life today, let's get together and encourage one another. There's no shame in this. There's no guilt in this. We are fighting giants and we need to be doing it together by the power of the Holy Spirit. The prayer team are going to um, be down here afterwards. Please come and see them. That would be great. I'm going to hand that over to Sim.